I have an important question for you this morning. Your answer to this particular question will determine how you respond to everything that happens in your life today. Your answer to this question will determine how you plan for the future. And your answer to this question will shape how you see the things that have happened to you in the past. And here is the question that I want us to consider together today. Who's in control of your life? Who is in charge of the things that happen to you? Now, some people would say, well, I'm in, I'm in control of my own life. You know, I make my own decisions. Um, my destiny depends on me. Others would say, well, honestly, other people seem to be in charge of my life. You know, maybe you're a student and you think, hey, my mom and my dad are really in charge of my life. Or maybe you're a parent and you think, hey, my kids are in charge of my life. Or you're married and you think my husband or my wife is in charge of my life. Or maybe you have a friendship where the other person seems to really be in charge of your life. Or maybe today you might say this, well, nobody's really in charge of my life. Things just happen to random events that happen one after another. Or maybe this would be your answer. Well, I don't have any clue who's in control of my life because right now my life seems completely out of control. Today we're continuing our series called Getting to Know God. And today we're going to talk about God's sovereignty, this idea that God is the one who's in control. Now, a few weeks ago, as we started this series, we said this, that God made us so that we could know him. And in that relationship, as we get to know God better and better, the more we are able to trust him. And the more we trust God, the more of God's power, the more of God's peace we experience. And so today we're going to focus on this, God's sovereignty. And it begs this question, this is the first question on your outline, what is the extent of God's control? And this is the answer that we receive from scriptures in 1 Chronicles. It says this, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in control of how much? Yeah, God's in control of everything. Now, if that's true, if God really is in control of everything, it raises a really important question. And this is a question that people have asked me as a pastor so many times. This is a question that I have wrestled with and continue to wrestle with. It's a question that theologians and philosophers have asked for thousands of years. And the question is this, it's right there on your outline. If God is in control of everything, then why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? Now, sometimes this is seen as an academic question, you know, something to be studied and debated. But all too often, this is a deeply personal question. Whenever there's a, a tragic car wreck, whenever someone you love gets cancer, when we watch the news and we see these natural disasters with, with floods and hurricanes, when there's war and famine and poverty and human trafficking, we just have to ask this question, well, God, if you're in charge of all things, then why is there so much suffering in this world? And the honest answer is this. We don't know the answer, at least not completely, because there are things about God that we cannot even comprehend. There was a, a pastor and theologian back during the days of the Protestant Reformation. His name was John Calvin. And he said this about God. He said, we can apprehend God but we cannot comprehend God. And this is what he meant. You can know God truly. You can apprehend God because God reveals himself to us. And what he reveals is absolutely true. But because God is infinite and because we're finite, 
we cannot comprehend God. We can't completely understand him. And in fact, this is what God says about himself in the book of Isaiah. God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if there's things about God that we don't know, things about God that we can't know, how do we possibly answer this question? And I think what we have to do is focus on what we do know. What has God revealed about himself in this book that we call the Bible? And the first thing is this, and it's on your outline. We know that God is not the author of evil. When Satan rebelled against God, the peace of heaven was shattered. And that war spilled over onto the earth. And many of you know the story in the opening pages of the Bible that God creates two people, Adam and Eve, and he gives them free will. They can choose to obey God or disobey God. And because of the tragic choice that they make, sin and suffering and pain and evil pour into our world. Now, often there are two kinds of evil in our world. One is called natural evil. And that's because the choice of Adam and Eve affected not just them, but all of creation. And so when we see floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and all these natural disasters, what we're seeing is an example of natural evil. But there's another kind of evil operating in the world, and it's called moral evil. This is the evil that takes place when people make wrong choices. And of course, we see that in the news every single day. Now here's something else that we know about God. We know that God can use evil to accomplish his purposes. And church, this is so important for us to really understand. There's a story in the Bible. In fact, it is the first story in the Bible. It's found in the book of Job. And many Bible scholars believe that Job was the first book of the Bible ever written, even before Genesis. And some of you know the story of Job, that here's this man who really loves God, and yet all these bad things happen to Job. He loses his family, he loses his health, he loses his wealth. And the question is, well, what is going on? Now, we know from the story that God is actually in control. Because if you've, if you've read the story, you know that Satan actually appears before God. And he says that he wants to do certain things to, to Job to prove that, that Job doesn't really love God for who he is, but for what God gives him. And God says, okay, but you can only go so far. And so in that story, we see that Satan's not in charge. Who is? God himself is in charge. And what's fascinating about this story is that we're getting to see the story from God's point of view. We see what's happening in heaven. We see what, hap what happens on earth, but that's not true of Job, is it? See, from God's point of view, there is a purpose. There is a reason for all of these things that are happening to prove that Job really loves God for who he is. But Job doesn't know that. And Job is really, really hurting, and he wants to ask God some questions to find out, hey, God, I love you. I serve you. What's going on? Why are all these bad things happening? And Job actually wants his day in court with God. And then as you go through the story, God shows up. But instead of Job asking the questions, the tables are turned, and God begins to question Job. And he says, hey, Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? And God has this litany of questions, and Job comes to the realization, hey, I'm not God, you are. And this conversation, this revelation of God, leads Job to even deeper levels of trust, which is exactly what God wanted to happen. And I think, church, that probably the best example that God is able to take really bad things and use them to accomplish something good is seen in the life of his own son. 
Because when we look at what happened to Jesus, there were some really, really bad things that happened, especially during those days leading up to his death. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was crucified. But who was actually in charge? Sure didn't look like God did it. But we know that three days later, what happened? Jesus is raised from the dead, and God proves that even in those tragic, dark times, he was actually in charge. And I think this is one of the things that, that encourages me so much about the Christian faith and really sets the Christian faith apart. We have a God who's not just standing back and watching suffering from a distance. We have a God who actually became one of us. God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus suffers right along with us. But Jesus isn't helpless in the face of suffering. He came to suffer alongside us, but he came to do something about our suffering to make a way for that suffering to one day end. And think about this. Way back at the beginning of the story, when Adam and Eve disobey God, does God say, hey, that didn't work out too well? Does he just throw in the towel? No. Why? Because he really loves Adam and Eve, and he really loves us. And even though we're separated from God by our sin, just like Adam and Eve, and even though God tells us, because I'm holy and just, I have to punish every sin you've ever committed. God says, I love you. And God pursues us, and that's why Jesus comes to our world. And Jesus does what none of us could ever do. He lives a perfect life. And then he allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be crucified so that we can have a relationship with God restored. And that's what happens on the cross. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And the anger, the wrath of God against sin is poured out on his son. And after Jesus dies, after he pays for our sins, God raises him to life. And church... Some of you right now today may be going through a really difficult time. And, and really, you're asking the question, well, God, if you're in charge, why is this happening to me? God, why is this happening to somebody I love? God, what is going on? I would encourage you to take a look at the cross and remember that God is able to take even difficult, tragic, painful circumstances and use them to accomplish something good for us and something that brings honor and glory to him. And there's a third thing that we know about God. The third thing is this, that God will one day crush evil and make everything new. One day God will crush evil and make everything new. When we were on our trip in Honduras, we went to these houses in the village there and we were taking food. There was enough food for several weeks that we took to each house and we would pray with the people there. And for many people on our, our missions team, it was their first time outside the U.S. Uh, for many, it was their first mission trip. And they saw people living in extreme poverty. Uh, we went into these homes and the floors were all dirt and it had been raining for days, so it was just sometimes just mud on the floors. And, and the houses are built out of whatever materials people can find. Sometimes it's just um, scraps of wood or metal and they're cobbled together and there's daylight showing through the walls and rain is pouring in the roof. And you see that, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And as we went from house to house and prayed with people, we asked them, hey, what can we pray about? And so many of them had medical issues. There was this one family where there was a little boy who had a heart condition. Another family, their, their house had burned down and their neighbors had taken them in. Um, so many of the homes that we visited, the fathers were absent. And these women were working so hard just to try to eke out some kind of living and provide for their family. And then there were these two homes that we went to and the fathers both were struggling with an addiction to alcohol. And in one case, the, the man was passed out on a bench and he was covered with flies. And I looked at this man and we prayed for him and I thought, God, this is not the way 
it's supposed to be. And isn't that true as we look around us here in the States? We see that our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. God, there's pain, there's evil, there's suffering. But here's the good news. One day Jesus is going to return. One day Jesus is going to make all things new. But, but, how do we live this day? How do, we, how do we live believing that God is actually in control of our lives? And I want to point out three important things, and the first is this, and it's on your alley. Because God is in control, everything that happens in your life and mine has a divine purpose. Everything has a divine purpose. Look at this verse from Romans 8, 28. We know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, how many of you have... Um, read this verse or seen this verse before? Okay, quite a few. I want to just walk through it quickly. It says, we know. We know. Our anchor, our refuge when life is hard is not just trying to have a positive attitude. Our anchor is knowing that God is actually in charge and that God cares deeply about us. We know that God causes. The things that happen in our lives are not random events. It's not because um, you, you've read this little piece of paper in a fortune cookie. It isn't because you read it in your horoscope. It's because there is a grand designer and God causes certain things and God allows certain things to shape our lives. And notice what it says, that God causes how much? What's the next word? Everything. What does that include? Yeah, that's not a hard question, is it? Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. God can use disease. God can use divorce. God can use debt. God can use all these things to accomplish something good because they are working together. See, these events in your life are like a spider web, and God is weaving them together. And it says we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, is everything that happens to you good? Shake your head, no, because it's not. There are bad things that happen, but God, because he is sovereign, can take something bad and use it to accomplish something good. And it says this, for the good of those who love God. This is a verse for people who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who love God, those who are not ignoring God, those who are a part of God's family. And it says those called according to his purpose. So what is God's purpose in allowing all these things to happen to us? Well, take a look at this verse again with the following verse added. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So that verse tells us that God has a purpose for every problem, and that purpose is to make you and me more like who? Remember, if you don't know the answer, it's probably, yes, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, God's trying to make us like Jesus, and we talk about that a lot here. In fact, I pray that for you all the time, and for myself, and for my family. God, please make us, make me more like Jesus. But here's a question. What would that actually look like in your life? A person who's becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, I think there are a couple of things. A person that's becoming more like Jesus has Jesus' priorities in their life. The things that are important to Jesus are becoming more and more important to you. The things that break Jesus' heart break your heart too. When we were in Honduras and we saw these kids, the kids that were in the villages, the kids in the Life Center, as we heard their stories, some of these girls have been involved in human trafficking. These kids have been completely abandoned, left on the street to die, and somebody has rescued them. Jesus loves these kids. And his love was, was something that we experienced in our hearts. That trip enabled us to become more like Jesus. And think about this. 
What would it look like in your relationships if you're becoming more and more like Jesus? Would you be more patient with people? Would you be more forgiving? Would you be more kind? And guys that are married, think about this. There's a, a verse in the book of Ephesians. It's Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, what would that look like really for us? To love our wives to the point of extreme sacrifice. To be more concerned about her welfare than you are your own. And not just her physical welfare or her emotional welfare, but her spiritual welfare as well. Because that's what it means to become more and more like Jesus, and that's God's purpose for us. So what should be our response? Take a look at your outline. We need to keep trusting God and keep obeying God. Keep trusting God and keep obeying God. I mentioned the story of Job earlier, and what was Job's response when all these tragic things happened to him? This is what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And notice what he says. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, at the end of the service today, we're going to sing a song with those exact lyrics, and this is where they come from, the story of Job. I was sharing with the, the people here in first service a story about a couple that my wife Chris and I have known for a number of years, and they're dear friends of ours. And I remember a number of years ago, I got a call, and the, the call was one of those that you just, you never want to receive. And our friend, the, the wife, was pregnant, and she was getting ready to deliver her baby, and the doctors um, did a, an ultrasound and discovered that the baby was going to be born with, without most of its brain. And so uh, she let us know. We, we met them there at the hospital, and the doctors told them that this baby would live maybe a couple of hours, at the most a couple of days, and then die. And so little Mark was born, and he defied the odds. He lived not just a few hours or a few days. He lived several months. And during those months that Mark was alive, our dear friends took him everywhere with them. And Mark became something that connected people. Because our friends would tell the story of, of what happened and how Mark was precious to them and how much they loved this little boy. And they, they talked about God's sovereignty, that God had a purpose for little Mark's life. And people could, could experience the faith of this couple, which was just remarkable. And I, I will never forget the funeral for Mark. It was held in a church, and, and it was filled with people. And it was a worship service. And this was the first passage of Scripture that was read. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And church, I just, I hope that as, as we face really difficult situations in our lives, that God will give us the grace, that God will give us the faith to say exactly the same thing. Whatever happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because God wants us to respond with trust and with obedience. He wants us to do the right thing even when life is really hard. And there's a beautiful example of this. Some of you know the story of Joseph in the Bible, that Joseph has all these brothers and his brothers hate him because he's his father's favorite son. In fact, they sell him into slavery and then they tell their dad, hey, Joseph got attacked by a wild animal. Dad, sorry, he's gone. Some of you remember that story? And then Joseph, through this remarkable set of circumstances, and they're not good circumstances, they're really difficult circumstances, he rises to power. 
and he becomes the second in control in the whole nation of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. And then there's this, this widespread famine, and so his brothers come to Egypt looking for food, and guess who they end up in front of? The brother that they betrayed. And now Joseph has all this power, and the question is, what is he going to do? Is he going to try to get revenge on his brothers? How is he going to treat them? And so he reveals himself to his brothers, and they're terrified because that's exactly what they're afraid of, and yet this is what happens. This is what Joseph said to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. That's because food was being provided. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, church, this is so important. Because Joseph believed in the sovereignty of God, he did the right thing. He actually extended grace to his brothers rather than seeking revenge. And here's what I want you to think about. Some of you right here this morning have been hurt deeply by other people. But I want you to know this. The people that hurt you are not in control of your life. God is. Do you hear that? That's so important. The people who have hurt you are not in charge of your life. God is. And so God wants you to trust him and God wants you to obey him. God wants you to become more and more like Jesus and extend grace and forgiveness. Now, here's another implication of God's sovereignty. Because God is in control, this is on your outline, your plans have limitations. Your plans have limitations. How many of you have ever been on a cruise ship? Okay, I need you to help me with this illustration. Are you ready? What are some things you can do on a cruise ship? Eat. That was the first choice last service. Yeah, there's all kinds of food to eat. What else can you do on a cruise ship? You can swim, hopefully on the ship, not off the ship. Yes. Good. What else can you do on a cruise ship? Sleep. Yes, you could sleep when you get tired from all the dancing and drinking and partying, right? I mean, you can make all kinds of choices on a cruise ship, no doubt. Some good, some not so good. Isn't that true? You have some freedom to make choices. Of course, choices have consequences. But can you choose to change the destination of the ship? No. And so there are limits to your freedom, right? You're on the boat. You can do certain things on the boat, but you can't change its ultimate destination because your freedom is limited. In a similar way, God's sovereignty restricts our freedom. We're, we can make choices, and those choices have consequences, but everything that happens is under the umbrella of God's sovereign will. How many of you have ever heard this statement? The sky is the limit. You ever hear that? Yeah, we, we, we read these self-help books and, you know, they're, they're motivating. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. Well, guess what? The sky is not really the limit. God's sovereign will is the limit. And that is really important for us to understand. Look at these verses. This is from Proverbs chapter 19. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And this verse from Proverbs, we may make our plans, but God has what? Isn't that true? God has the last word. So what should be our response? Look on your outline. Don't boast about your plans. Do not boast about your plans. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us. It says this in Proverbs. Do not boast about tomorrow. Why? For you do not know what a day may bring forth. And then consider these verses from the book of James. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And then he gives us this important 
advice. In fact, it's a command. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, years ago when people wrote letters, they would write DV at the bottom of the letter. It's short for a Latin phrase, Deo Valente, God willing. Remember years ago, my plan was to become a professional musician. And then my plan was to become a medical doctor. And you know what God did? He messed up my plans. Has God ever messed up your plans? You know, he does that. I was talking with our students um, week before last about a couple that I read about. And the guy's name was Joe. And he was a blue-collar guy, worked as a carpenter. And he was engaged. And, and Joe and his wife, they had big plans, big dreams. They were going to buy a house with a two-donkey garage. Um, they just thought their life was going to work out a certain way. But for Joseph and Mary... Um, God messed up their plans, didn't he? But here's the deal. Was God's plan better than their plan? I would say. Was it bigger? Yeah, that's why we're here today. Because God's plan was so much bigger. But let me ask you this. Think about this. Was God's plan harder? It was, wasn't it? Now you think about how God works out his plan in your life. Because I believe this to be true. That God's plan for my life is bigger. That God's plan for my life is better. And that God's plan for my life is harder. But because it's God's plan, he gives us the grace and he equips us to carry out that plan. So how should we respond? Look at your outline. It says this, we should make our plans counting on God to direct us. That's exactly what the Bible says. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. So how does God direct us as we plan? Well, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through other people, through open and closed doors. So quick review now. Because God is in control, your problems have a purpose, your plans have a limit, and finally, because God is in control, your prayers have an impact. Your prayers have a real impact in this world. Have you ever thought this? Okay, um, I get it. God has a plan, and the plan's all worked out. So if that's true, why should I even pray? What difference does it make? Have you ever wrestled with that question? I certainly have. And I think there's a, a really beautiful story. There are several stories in the Bible that give us the answer, but one of my favorite is in the book of Acts. And this is when the church is really starting to make an impact, and they're facing all this opposition, and this king, his name is Herod, he, he kills James, one of the disciples, and then he has Peter arrested, and people just think, oh man, what's going to happen now? So what does the church do? Does the church get together and say, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do? You know, tough luck, Peter. <laughs> Hope things work out for you. Now, this is what happens. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Why was the church praying? Because those believers were convinced that their prayers had what? An impact. Did their prayers have an impact? Well, if you know the story, God sends an angel and Peter is released from prison. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means this. If God is actually in control of this universe... If he's actually sovereign, then he can take our prayers and weave them into his plan so that our prayers actually affect the outcome of future events. Do you believe that? That our prayers actually influence the outcome of future events. Let me ask you this. How many of you, and you can raise your hand on this one, how many of you have ever prayed for somebody you love? How many of you have ever, ever prayed really, really hard for somebody you love? How many of you are still waiting for God to answer? Yeah, me too. So what do we do? We keep praying, and we don't 
give up. And that's exactly what Jesus taught us. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why did Jesus tell them this story? Because that's our tendency, isn't it? You pray for a week, you pray for a month, you pray for a year, and you go, oh man, this isn't working. I'm going to give up. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Keep praying. Because your ways are not God's ways and your timetable is not God's timetable. God is really in control. So trust him and keep praying. I want to close this morning with an example of that kind of prayer that we encountered in Honduras. We were on the job site doing the construction part of the project one morning and one of the staff members from Children's Impact Network came and got me and my wife and two other people on our team. Isabel was one of the people on the team and Gail, Gail Scott. And uh, she said, would you, would you come with me? And so we did. Now, the Life Center there, the orphanage building has two floors and there are a group of kids on one floor that have house parents, and there's the bottom floor with another set of house parents. And one of the house parents, the mom, invited us to come into a room with her. So we walk into this room, and it's a fairly small room, and I'm wondering, what in the world is going on? And then we look around, and on the walls in this room are Bible verses and names. And so I turned around, and I saw this, this phrase in Spanish over the top of the door. It said, War Room. And she said, this is where we pray. And she told us these remarkable stories about how the children had prayed and God had answered their prayers. There were things they needed and they had no idea where they would come from. And God provided. And some of the kids have been through really, really hard experiences and their hearts are broken. And they're just so damaged. And, and there were prayers offered in that room for healing. And this mom told us that God is answering those prayers and these kids' hearts are being mended. And then she did this. She, um, she asked Gail to write down the names of everybody on our team so that they could pray for us. Because those believers in Honduras, and especially these little kids, believe that their prayers have an impact. And so church, I want to leave you with, with this thought. Because God is in control of your life and mine, every problem has a purpose. Your plans have a limit, and our prayers have an impact. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word this morning. God, we thank you that you are indeed sovereign over the affairs of men and nations. God, you're in control of everything that happens in our lives. And Lord, for those who are going through a tough time right now, or, or maybe this morning it's because you love somebody who's struggling. Father, I pray that we would trust you I pray that we would obey you. God, I pray that we would do exactly what Jesus said, that we would pray and not give up. And Lord, I pray too for the person here this morning who maybe for the first time has understood your great love for them. Father, I pray that they would just say this in their heart. God, I need you because my life does not feel like it's in control. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Father, I believe that he died for my sins and I want to follow him. God, I know that you always answer and honor that prayer. And I know that you will do that today. And Lord, as we close this service, as we sing this song, I pray that the words that we say would be an expression of our faith, that whatever happens, we would be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's sing.